Adventures of Superman, a podcast where Superman still stands for truth, justice, and the American way. I am Michael Bradley, and this is episode number 25, and it's another big episode, folks, because, well, not just because it's episode 25, which kind of feels like a milestone in and of itself, but we'll also once again be looking at three Superman comics, Action Comics number 16, Superman number 2, and Action Comics number 17. But what really makes it a big episode is that I am joined by another excellent co-host. So please welcome my friend and fellow Superman podcaster, Mr. Charlie Niemeyer. Hi, everybody. I am here, and you can rejoice and be glad in it. Yes. Yes. How's it going? It is very good. Very good. How about you? Oh, not too bad. Happy to be recording. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't been having a chance to record. I've been trying to catch up on my show and... Mm -hmm. Um, Charlie was Charlie was kind enough to have me on his show back in March, so I'm glad that we were able to get get our schedules to align so that he could come on here. Charlie is host of Superman in the Bronze Age, um, a podcast which, as the title might suggest, covers Superman's Bronze Age adventures, which is an era of Superman that's about as different as can be from the one that we're covering here. Um, <laughs> yeah, you could say that. Though I was thinking, in some ways, they're kind of connected, because the first arc that he covered was, well, from the Superman issues, was the Kryptonite Nevermore arc, which was the first attempt to depower Superman. Yes. And they never they never take him, took him back to Golden Age levels, and it certainly didn't stick around, but that was the first serious attempt to take him back a notch. He... Almost was the uh, there was one or two issues where he was literally having to leap. Okay. But he wasn't reduced to a third of a mile or whatever it is right. in the golden age. But he was leaping. They actually he actually looked like some of the Joe Schuster stuff. So he got almost. Yeah. Plus, it's interesting that the Earth Two Superman was introduced just a couple years before the point you started at. And he really became the quote-unquote Earth-2 Superman during the Bronze Age. So if you want to consider that the same character as the Golden Age Superman, then you know, your show and mine are really looking at the beginning and the end of his, of his life, really. Pretty much, yeah. Not that you think, so, not that you mention it. So that, I thought that was kind of interesting when I thought about it. So um, how did you get into comics, and especially Superman? Uh, well, comics... Um, that's a good question. I wish I had... No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) No, uh, as far as comics, uh, I think I got into those... um, The first comics I remember ever owning owning were... uh, I don't even know how I got them, but I had three issues from Secret Wars. Okay. I couldn't tell you what three issues they were, because I was like three or four. Um, But I remember one of them was the one with Hulk holding up the mountain. I don't okay. know if you even know those, but anyway. I don't know the covers to them. Okay. No. One of them has Hulk holding up the mountain. That's the one I remember. Um, but somehow we those got lost when we moved. Uh, but um, a friend of mine gave me some comics during when uh, three issues of Batman in one of those grab bags mm-hmm. back when uh, the first movie came out. And so those were probably the first comics I actually read. And then um, – uh, the local library actually had some, believe it or not, they actually had actual issues of comics uh, that you could borrow. Wow. Not all of them were in really good shape, and some of them actually lost their covers. But um, 
so that's that's a lot where I that's where I started started reading some Superman stuff. And um, they also had uh, Dark Knight Returns, which I actually checked out one time, and it made no sense to me, so I didn't go back and read that again, uh, especially since, you know, Girl Robin and stuff. Right. But um, the other book they had was Superman from the 30s to the 80s, uh-huh. and um, I read that book cover to cover over and over again, and of course that gives you the Golden Age, Silver Age, and Bronze Age Superman stories, so... That was really my first, uh, where I first fell in love with the Superman character outside of TV or movies, and then I uh, I borrowed that a whole lot of times and read that over and over again, and then it wasn't until uh, the death of Superman that I actually started collecting, hmm. and then I've just been kind of collecting ever since. I've kind of stopped getting the new stuff lately, just because it's not really my cup of tea anymore. Right. Um, I the, totally totally relate to you there. Yeah, with the six part stories and stuff, I'll I'd rather wait for the trade if it's going if they're going to do that because nowadays it takes about as long to read a trade as it does to read one of these golden age issues. Um, so I haven't been buying new stuff, but I have been going back and getting a bunch of old stuff. I've almost got my Bronze Age Superman collection completed. Wow! And uh, well. It's not that good. Um, <laughs> I don't, I've only got like a handful of issues of Superman left, but I have a whole lot of action stuff. And for some reason, the action ones up, uh, except for the ones like right near the end, uh, the action issues are actually a little bit more expensive. So they've been a little harder to get a hold of. Hmm. But uh, that's how I got into comics. And Superman was actually, uh, like I said, bef- like I said before, movies and TV. I think I was first introduced to Superman with Super Friends. Yeah, and as it seems like a lot of people our age were, and uh, then of course I saw the movies, and that, and then that was all before I actually found the comic book. So I was really I was into that. Plus, Superboy the TV show mm-hmm. was probably where I really got interested in it because of the fact that it was a weekly show. Right. So, yeah. So now, are you a primarily a Bronze Age fan? I mean, is that your favorite era of the comics? Um. Um, it's hard to say. Basically, it depends on the well. I bre- kind of break the Bronze Age up into three eras, um, which I don't break them up on the, my show. But um, there's the early era, which I'm in now, which was basically kind of where they're getting their they're starting to experiment with stuff after the Silver Age, right? And that's okay but it's not really my favorite uh right in the middle of it from about 75 to about 83 uh was this really cool era where they really started bringing back the villains that you know and really it was really an exciting time and of course they had all the stuff with the movie uh well movies and all in the bicentennial stuff so they had stuff tying into that even uh that was a really cool time and then there's this time after about 83 to the end where it's like they were told that basically in a couple years we're going to be rebooting so you really don't have to do anything (laughs) right uh so and for some reason they kind of went back to a silver age kind of feeling which is kind of weird but i really like the middle part of that and then um the mostly i think i'm probably a bigger fan of the post-crisis or the crisis to crisis era because mm-hmm. um, that's basically where I started and basically I that's well that's basically my Superman because right. um, once I got once I got the death stuff I tried to go I went back and got all the stuff before it 
and then continued to collect the stuff as it came out. So I've been that's the one I've been following the most. But I kind of like I I think um, I like Bronze Age so much one because from Crisis to Crisis was already doing stuff with the post crisis and um, I I did the pre-crisis because it's kind of a it's just a cool feeling to be covering a version of the character that's not really published anymore right but i try i'm trying to cover it at a time where this was that was superman if you were reading comic books in 1973 that was the only superman you had you may not have well, if you weren't reading Justice League or something, you would have known about the Earth 2 Superman. But this was the only Superman that had been around for all that time. Yeah. There hadn't been any really big reboots other than the Kryptonite thing. So it was, it's, I, I like it. There seems to be some kind of, a different kind of majesty with the pre-crisis Superman. And even the, the Kryptonite Nevermore wasn't really a reboot like we think of it today. It was just a, a right. storyline to kind of redefine his powers a little bit. Basically, yeah. it's like it's it was almost a back to basics without taking him back to basics. Right. Because, <laughs> you know, Lois and Jimmy barely showed up and then they were gone for a while. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, when Michael Kaiser was on the show a few episodes ago, I asked him this next question. And he he's not really a Superman fan uh, like we are. You know, okay. Superman's our favorite character, but he's more of a Captain America and Batman fan. But what right. would you say your favorite Superman story is? Favorite Superman story ever? Yes, comic book wise. Oh, that's a good question. It's hard to answer, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, he got seventy some years of comics to go right. through, but um, I would have to. Just off the top of my head, I probably have. Uh, it's probably a tie between three stories. And unfortunately, it's one for for different eras. So, <laughs> but um, it can be hard to compare the eras, you know. Cause... Yeah, that's the thing, because you got different kinds of storytelling, right. stuff like that. But I would say, probably my favorite would be it was a four part story that was in Superman. It was um, who took the super out of Superman is what has basically been given to the four parts, mm-hmm. even though even though they didn't technically have it as a four-part st- I mean, it was all continued, but it wasn't like, this is part one of who took this super out of Superman, right. anything like that. But um, it was a four-part story that ran from Superman 290... yeah, 296 to 299, uh, back in the Bronze Age. And basically it was a story that involved uh, Superman, uh, Clark's mysterious neighbor, who had been referenced... Um, as far back as some of the comics I'm actually covering now, which I'm in early 72, I think. So uh, he was actually a kind of a background thing for quite a while and always a mysterious guy that Clark never actually met. And basically what was happening, uh, the main crutch of the story is that for some reason, whenever he was wearing his Clark Kent clothing, he had no superpowers. So he was just Clark. But when he switched to his Superman costume, he suddenly had all of his powers back. And that, of course, makes no sense. So he decided he was going to – he's going to live out some of his uh, one full day as Clark – or a week, I think it was, actually, as Clark with no Superman. And then the next issue, he lives out the week as Superman but without Clark. And then the idea is that he's going to decide which identity means more to him and which one he's going to continue with for the rest of his life. Cool. And it's a pretty good story. It's it's one of the few times um, 
for that whole for that whole uh, era of Superman, up until that point, uh, Kurt, uh, Carrie Bates, and Elliot Magan had been writing the books. Yes. Uh, over you know, didn't matter which it just I guess they were writing it whatever whenever it was ready that was the one that was going to go next. But um, that for that so for that story they actually teamed up, and they were both credited as writers. I don't know how it breaks down. But they both wrote it, and then of course they had Kurt Swan. And by that point, uh, his inker was Bob Oskner, and he had been on the book long enough that he was really starting to gel really well with Swan's pencils. So the combination of all that just really makes it a great story. It's got good story and great art. Isn't that the story with the scene that got edited? Uh, yes. The, the between Clark yeah. and Lois. Yes. At the end of one page, uh, we see. Uh, Clark and Lois hanging up because with Clark, Clark actually kind of act, started acting a little more uh, macho, or uh, to put it more, uh, to put it a little easier, um, acting a little bit more like the post-crisis Superman mm-hmm. or Clark, I mean. And Lois was actually falling for him, and he go, she goes over to his place one night on a date, and while the late show is coming on, they, they we see them making out. And then the next morning, we see Lois at the Daily or at the GPS, and she's got the same dress on. And apparently, the original script uh, had Steve Lombard noticing that she was wearing the same clothes as the night before, but uh, editorial apparently thought that that would indicate, you know, that was a little too adult, right? Because it indicates that she stayed over at Clark's for the night. Uh, so they changed it to something else, which I can't remember off the top of my head. But um, yeah, so they edited that. But um, there actually is uh, a website with Superman dot new in you. Oh, uh, that's Superman through the ages. I yes, that's yes, that's what it is. That's what it is. Superman through the ages, and they actually have. Um, the story it's like a special edition and apparently this story got reprinted in a book that i haven't been able to find anywhere but it's got a higher quality printing and stuff you know the better colors and it doesn't look like it's on newsprint it looks like actually it kind of looks like some of these reprints were look that they have in the chronicles uh-huh. uh and then of course they add some special effects to the backgrounds and stuff through the computer on before they posted it but their ver- the version that they posted they actually changed the word bubble to the original, <laughs> to the original. Uh, to the original and so i i have that too so um but yeah that that's an important scene um basically the idea is that i guess that they spent the night but they don't imply it at all the second time and i really didn't even notice it until i read about that so (sighs) that was weird rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton. Kal-El grew to manhood on Earth, whose yellow sun and lighter gravity gave him fantastic superpowers. In the city of Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil all over Earth and beyond as Superman. Superman in the Bronze Age is a weekly podcast following the adventures of Superman from 1970 to the Burn reboot in 1986. Follow along at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. Um, like I said, this episode we're going to be looking at three comic books. Action Comics number 16, 
Superman number two and Action Comics number seventeen. And Charlie's going to handle the first issue, so I'm going to hand it off to you. Oh, cool. Okay. Action Comics number sixteen with a cover date of September nineteen thirty nine, uh, and a, with approximate sale date of August first nineteen thirty nine, which makes this about forty one years older than I am, plus a few weeks. Uh, which makes me feel younger, actually. So, yeah. Uh, it's got a cover price of just 10 cents. If you can scrape up a dime, you could get this. And it's got a great, well, yeah, it's a pretty great cover by Fred Gardner. It's a very nice cover. Yeah. Uh, it looks really cool. It's very dynamic. Uh, definitely has action to it. Uh, totally looks like he's um, stuck that uh, sword or that, that blade through the guy's eye. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really cool cover. And uh, of course, it has Superman in the corner. and the... That's actually a new feature on the cover, too. This is the first time. Oh, this is when they first started that? Mm-hmm. Um, before yeah. now, it's been a, a little bubble that says 64 pages of thrills. But this starting this issue, it's replaced with that Superman breaking his breaking chains with his chest image. And that'll stay on the cover through till the late 40s. Wow. Okay. Now that was um, I've heard it. I don't remember if that was you that said it, but that was because people uh, the news reports they were getting was that people were having problems buying action because they were looking for Superman. That's what they say. Yeah, that's kind of the story that's been passed okay. along through the years. Yeah, but then the non-Superman covers, they didn't know Superman was in it. Okay. So the, so we got Superman busting his chains on one corner, basically in the same spot that the DC bullet would later jump right. in many, 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 many years down the line. And then, of course, the other corner says Zatara, Cliff, Cliff, Clip Carson, Tex Thompson, Pet Morgan, and many others will thrill you again with their breathtaking adventures in this issue. Woohoo! And I kind of like the colors because it's like got a red border at the top and then the green writing for Action Comics, so it's kind of Christmassy. <laughs> yeah. But it's... Christmas uh, in August? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, you, you want to think of Christmas when it's like 90 degrees and... Yeah. Yeah, it's depression. So, um, anyway, uh, the title of the story—it uh, didn't have a title originally, but uh, the chronicles and I'm guessing at the Action Comics hardcover uh, give it the title "Superman and the Numbers Racket." It was written by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Uh, it, well, no, it wasn't written by both of them. Uh, <laughs> man, it was written by Jerry Siegel, drawn by Joe Schuster. Uh, edited by Vin Sullivan, and I think that uh, Paul Cassidy also had a hand in the art. Probably, okay, probably inking. Yeah, at this point. Uh, well, yeah, I was thinking that, but I did. It didn't say that in here, so I just was kind of going with. Yeah, it. the credits in the Chronicles, the the first couple of volumes of Chronicles, credit all the stories to just Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. But um, I'm I'm pretty sure that Cassidy and Paul Loretta and uh, some others were working at this point on the strips. Okay. Well, that makes sense then. Okay, so I guess the art was done by Joe Schuster and one of his flunkies. <laughs> so we'll go with it that way. Uh, now, the opening panel, we actually see Superman knocking down some houses, which I guess is a callback to uh, was it the previous issue? Or a couple issues ago where he was knocking down the whole all the tenements in that one part, bad part of town. That was back in Action Comics number seven, I want to say. Well, wow, that was way back. Tenement, yeah. Okay, and uh, the opening 
uh, panel says, Friend of the helpless and oppressed is Superman, a man possessing the strength of a dozen Samsons, lifting and rending gigantic weights, vaulting over skyscrapers, racing a bullet, possessing a skin impenetrable to even steel, are his physical assets used in his one-man battle against evil and injustice. And while that doesn't seem like very good English, <laughs> apparently that works okay for comics. Uh, okay, so one night, uh, Superman is out on patrol when he sees a man about to hang himself. Streaking ahead, Superman saves the man and finds out that the man or the main, as I've written here, the man had stolen money from his employer to pay for his gambling debts. Um, Superman reminds him that his death would actually make things more difficult for his wife and family, which somehow suddenly convinces the man to confess to his crimes. So Superman heads back to, his, to well, I guess his apartment or Clark's apartment, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, but can't get the man out of his mind. So the next morning, Clark goes to his red-headed editor, because I don't believe he was redheaded before, was he? It, they've been coloring his hair different colors. It may oh. be dark, you know, redheaded one day and and dark-headed the next time. So, so he's one of those guys that likes to dye his hair. Apparently, yeah. Okay, so he's still kind of bald, um, but he's got red hair today, uh, and he's his editor at the Daily Star, which I just like saying because I'm not used to Daily Star, and requests to investigate Metropolis's gambling problem. With his editor's blessing, Clark heads to the commissioner's office, but he's busy talking to Bruce Wayne about Batman. I'm kidding. It's a different commissioner. So Clark actually um, asks the commissioner why he isn't doing anything about the gambling problem. The commissioner responds by stating that with all the other major crimes, such as murder and robberies, there just isn't time to tackle gamblers, too. When Clark tries to remind him that gambling is still a crime and that it is the commissioner's job to enforce the law... The commissioner gets pretty mad at him and offended and throws Clark out of his office. Realizing that this isn't going anywhere, um, Clark realizes that it, this looks like a job for Superman. That night, Superman heads out to the Dixie Club, one of the most well-known gambling establishments in town. Hanging outside of a window, as he likes to do back in the Golden Age, Superman meets or sees Marty Kay, owner of the Dixie Club counting up the day's take, which up to this point had been about $5,000, which is pretty good money for 1939. Superman enters, and Kay pulls a gun on him, but Sw Superman swiftly snatches it away before he can shoot him. So Kay calls in Butch, Nick, and Pete, but Superman just throws them around and throws them out the door, and Superman then heads out to the main room and starts tearing up the place, which actually upsets the patrons. However, uh, after he reveals how the games are fixed, the patrons gladly help him with the destruction. Superman then heads back to Kay's office, rips open the safe, after, of course, Kay refuses to divulge the combination, and takes all of the money to a poor section of the city, where high in the sky, he just pretty much drops it so it rains down on the citizens. He then lands next to a house where he hears a couple inside arguing. Uh, and the woman inside is threatening to leave the man if he doesn't give up his gambling habit, which he promises to do. He then promptly leaves and heads to a barbershop where he bets $5 in a numbers game. As he leaves, Superman confronts him and gently persuades him to give up gambling. And I say gently with air quotes, which you can't see because this is an audio podcast. Uh, he persuades him by uh, taking the guy's watch and crushing it and threatening to do the same to his neck if he doesn't stop um, gambling. 
So, but for this Superman, that is gently. So he then goes inside and asks the proprietor for the identity of his boss. When he refuses, Superman persuades him also by punching holes in the wall around his head. Surprisingly, this works and reveals that Jack O'Leary controls the numbers racket in Metropolis because those Irish guys are always causing trouble. <laughs> um, when Superman arrives at O'Leary's, the butler, or his butler, when Superman arrives at O'Leary's, his butler refuses to let him in, so Superman lets himself in, knocking out the butler in the process. So O'Leary comes out from another room and heads to his desk to get a gun, but Superman, moving at great speed, gets to the desk first and destroys it. O'Leary then tries to run away, but Superman streaks ahead of him to block his path. O'Leary tries the another exit, but Superman, of course, gets there first, blocking his path yet again. In desperation, O'Leary flings himself at the Man of Steel, but Superman easily stops him. When Superman threatens to really get tough, because he hasn't yet, O'Leary gives him a list of all of his gambling connections. Superman then spends the next few hours wrecking every gambling establishment in town. Inside one of them, Superman hears someone calling City Hall for help. Realizing that this means he's going to finally find out who's pro uh, providing protection to the gamblers, Superman sticks around to find out who it is and finds out that it's the commissioner. Bum, bum, bum. I put that in there that way you don't have to worry about it. Uh, Superman, <laughs> Superman then persuades the commissioner to contact the city's leading gamblers to meet up. When they arrive, Superman invites everyone to leave the city. He then presents a deck. Uh, let me try that again. He then presents a deck of cards and has each man pick a card, promising that if the man who picks the Ace of Spades is not out of the city in the next 12 hours, Superman will kill him. After collecting the cards back, Superman reminds them all of his threat and leaves. The next morning, the Daily Star runs the headline, Commissioner Resigns, by Clark Kent. And a radio announcer in a tux reports that all of the city's leading gamblers left town in a mad rush. Later, alone, Clark reveals that it was a trick deck and that every card was the Ace of Spades. And then, of course, the final panel... Uh, is right here because I wasn't looking through the issue as I was going through my notes. Uh, and of course, the final panel says, Superman at the World New York World's Fair. You can read this thrilling episode of Superman in New York World's Fair comics. The back inside cover of this magazine will tell you how to get a, your copy of this dandy book. Don't miss it. <laughs> they were really pushing that New York World's Fair comic. Yeah, I was looking um, at that. The, uh, all the issues in here have an ad for it. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, that was weird. I really, really like this opening panel of Superman leaping through the night. And mm -hmm. I like seeing Superman out out searching for someone to help. We really haven't seen that too much It's like so his far. first patrol. Yeah, um, but interestingly... Um, the lead story to Superman number two that we're going to talk to talk about here in a little bit, uh, it reprints a story from the newspaper strip that also started with Superman out on patrol and stopping a guy from committing suicide. So I thought that was interesting. Oh. I didn't know if they had intentionally reprinted that one in there because it started the same way or if it was just a poor planning. Or That's a good point. Superman out for searching for someone in need someone in need of assistance they even start having the same caption almost at the from the first panel uh-huh interesting i hadn't noticed that my note for page one is if you look at the trees and the guy in the tree in panel three 
it looks like Superman's kind of running along the path underneath while the guy's in the tree. In the next panel, not panel four, Superman's above him in the tree, and it looks like the guy's on the ground. And then on panel five, Superman is an entirely different place <laughs> and on the ground again while I, the guy's about to leap off the tree. I didn't even notice that when I was reading it, but you're right. He's like behind him and then above him. Yeah, he's all, he's all over the place. <laughs> and it's like, wow, Superman. Well, you know, Superman really gets around, but dang. Yeah. So does this guy about to kill himself too. Um, just for a quick note about Superman's costume, we've got the S on the cape again this issue, and it's a, a yellow field with a red border, or excuse me, a yellow field with a yellow border and a red S, and that's just like it is on his chest, though the S isn't there on his cape all the way through the issue, it kind of comes and goes. That's okay, and, and a couple chest panels, all the way through either. completely <laughs> gone, so. Yeah. But also, in this issue, Superman's belt is red. So they're. Still, I noticed that too. Still kind of it, fluctuating a lot on the costume. Now is that a reprint error, or is that, um, or is that like it in the original too? It's like that in the original too. Okay. Interesting. I, I, have seen I like how they do that most of the time. If there's a color error, they reproduce it to kind of give you the as close to ac- uh, originally accurate as possible. Yeah, sometimes they leave them, sometimes they fix them, and I don't know what the policy is on. Fixing things like that with yeah. DC, but well, well, it's like it's a weird thing too. Like I noticed um, when I looked at Superman, no, Action Thirteen, mm-hmm. um, for something else. Uh, if you look at that one uh, on the original, the curtains in Clark's apartment, I want to say they're green with like a white design on them, but in the reprint, they're white with a green design. Oh. Continuity error. <laughs> exactly. Air. It's like, oh my god, what's going on here? Those crazy golden age guys. But anyway, I'm sorry. Continue. Your turn. No, you're fine. We're here to talk about the issue. So, I was I was originally gonna say that Clark is pretty, or excuse me, Superman is pretty hard on this guy, especially comparing to how he treated Larry Trent in the story from the dailies that I mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, this guy is by his own admission a criminal where Trent was a victim of someone else's scheme. So That is true, yes. That makes sense. Um, but I like it's, seeing um, a resolved Clark, if we jump to the next page. Panel 20? Yeah. And I like seeing that, especially in this era, because sometimes Clark can do things via the power of the press that Superman can't do. Yes. And it really doesn't happen too much in this story, but he does try to tackle the situation as Clark first, and it's only after the commissioner stonewalls him that he decides it's a job for Superman. So That's a good point. Yeah, he doesn't do that too often, but I do like it when he does that. Because he can do with public opinion more than he can just do with his fists. Right. And really they don't even play with that too much. I guess they've played with it some post-crisis, but mm-hmm. not really as much as they could. But then at the same time, it's Superman's stories, not Clark Kent's stories. So Exactly. I, I know they played with it a couple times, um, especially when Byrne was still doing it. Or <laughs> that's not good wording, but when Byrne was still right, uh, writing, writing most, mm-hmm. yeah, most of the stuff. Um, that there was a point where it was like he he finally realized that he couldn't stop Luther from you know doing stuff and then getting away with it. Right. As Superman, so he realized that he, you know, this would be a job for Clark because he could use the power of the press to kind of try to swing public opinion. And then for some reason that didn't – I don't remember that doing a darn thing. 
Yeah, they, I don't think they ever really followed up on it too much. Exactly. Of course, you might get an email from Michael Bailey or <laughs> Jeffrey Taylor correcting us, but yeah. I don't remember that. Um, pages five through seven all felt very Adventures of Superman like to me. When when uh, Superman's tearing through the gambling establishment. Uh huh. Like uh, the radio show or? No, no, no. The George Reeves. Oh, okay. Serial. Okay. Yeah, I don't so. know. Just uh, it just felt like something you'd see on the show. Totally. And I don't know about the guy swinging in the air, but yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. But um, and then Superman ripping open the safe was pretty funny too. And he did ask the guy for the combination though, so it's his own fault. He did it. It's not. Yeah. He tried to be a good guy. Right. But the guy was like, no. And speaking of that page, um, uh, page on panel fifty-one, where Superman's dropping the money. Mm-hmm. Apparently, at that point, he also decided to drop his S shield because his yeah. chest has no S shield on it on that yeah. panel. He just tore it off. Bloop. Yep. That might might be that big white thing. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. I can't tell. <laughs> in page eight, like I think you pointed it out in your summary, we have another instance of Superman eavesdropping on private conversations. Uh-huh. And I'm I'm a little I don't know what he's doing at this house. And it seems well, a bit convenient that he would drop by the house that just happens to lead him to the boss of the gambling racket. Well, base uh what what I I mean, I don't it is convenient, but from what I can tell, basically especially if you look at panel 55 where you see the inside of the house and it looks kind of trashy. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that this was because we don't actually see him land to drop the money. He's still kind of floating up there. I'm thinking he's having to land because he this is still a low-income part of town. Okay. So maybe he's landing there. And it says that he's about to move on, but he hears a heated argument. And that's when he decides to start paying attention. Now, it is it is a coincidence that it just happens to lead him to the numbers record guy, okay. which leads him to everything else. But it, there seem yeah, – the, He's tried. Siegel tried to give him a reason to li- to be listening in. I don't know if I would have eavesdropped if I was in the situation, but that's why I'm not a superhero. So, <laughs> well, if you hear two people screaming at one another, I guess that's that's a bit different than you know walking <laughs> up you know outside of an office and listening to their conversation. Exactly, so. like just walking in and go, hmm, there's people in here. Let's see what they're saying today. <laughs> yeah, uh, or walking around the world's fairgrounds and and listening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <sighs> And we have a very violent and threatening Superman in this story with him threatening to snap that guy's neck. And then the next page, he's threatening to uh, punch the guy's face in. Oh, yeah. In yep. fact, panel 64, he actually punches the – looks like he punches the guy's hair out because of a miscolor. Or right. actually bad inking, actually. Yeah. I'm sorry. And I'm just not um, – I just I can't get used to that real violent, threatening Superman. Uh, and I grew up, too, with the post-crisis stuff. Well, not grew up with it, but that's where I came into the comic books. So, yeah, it is. It's it's a lot more. It's it's even at a point where like people would say that this is too much for even Batman to do. Oh, um, I can totally see Batman doing this. I could I could Mo- see him doing Batman. it, but I'd also I'd also usually you see something if it's if it's like that it's either because it's a very drastic situation. Or you're going to have Robin in the background going, whoa, 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 do you really have to do that? Or something like right. that, you know? It's just, it's kind of a little bit of an extreme, even for, well, for what we would know as Batman. I don't know, well, I don't know about the Golden Age stuff that you guys, that you you deal with, but uh, as far as like, you know. Well, if this, was the, if this was the current Batman, 
in the comic, I mean, the uh, Golden Age Batman, he would just wait around for someone to die before actually going to do <laughs> action and doing anything. So, yeah. Oh, he, this guy died, killed himself because he does gambling. Well, I guess I need to look into that. Tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. Well, yeah, in the morning. <laughs> you don't want to do it tonight. He's busy. It's lunchtime. Yeah, let's exactly. we can wait for the. <laughs> I need to go write an article for a paper because right, I'm, right. Ri- <laughs> I'm rich and I do that. <laughs> Um, Superman's been using these um, he, he uses these bursts of speed a lot in this story where he's blocking the guy from leaving the room that, that's mm-hmm. the most obvious example but earlier he snatched the guy or snatched the gun from the guy before he could fire and mm-hmm. at the beginning of the issue he leapt in to save the suicidal guy um, after he had jumped So, and we just haven't really seen Superman using his speed too much yeah, in the comics I, I like it though because I I've always liked this little game that he plays. Right. I've done it before. Uh, the times I can think of is I know there's at least once he did that in um, the Lois and Clark uh, show. Uh-huh. And I and he did it in, I believe it's Man of Steel number two with a robber. And he's running and he runs into Superman. So he turns around and suddenly Superman's there. And the only way you know Superman moved is because his cape's still trailing behind him. Yeah. But I love it when he plays this game. And in fact, uh, panel 75, he actually, excuse me, they actually have him move so fast that all you see is literally kind of a blur. You see the speed lines. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So that's where they got the blur from Smallville. Oh, no. See, it all comes back here. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Speaking of not coming back to here, that last panel, Superman's just all relaxed and leaned up against the wall. He, you know, as I was saying, uh, Dean Cain a lot of times had that air about him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was just more of a relaxed, laid-back kind of Superman. And uh, I'm not saying that they got it from this era of the comics. I highly doubt that. But he has he had a little bit more fun with his powers. Yeah. Yeah. One of my favorites I remember. Not that this is. The thrilling adventures of Lois and Clark, but one of the fa- um, things I remember was he was uh, there was people trying to get out of Metropolis before Superman found him or something, and he actually floats up next to him in a sitting position, pretending he's a cop, <laughs> and he's like he just he does the arm cross thing that yeah. he does, and he just pulls up to him and says, "I'm gonna think I'm gonna need you to pull over," and like scares the people, and but he's just floating <laughs> outside the car. Yeah. Uh huh. I love that one. Um, I love this panel on page 11 with uh, Superman tearing through the gambling establishments and even using a sledgehammer to do so. Well, yeah, because sometimes Uh, you need help. (laughs) A guy that can tear down buildings single-handedly needs help, yeah. Yeah. Uh, But I wish that would have been... It's a nice... uh, They've got the panel split into three parts. You see the outside of a building with like a ruckus going on inside, and then you see Superman using the sledgehammer... And then the next panel is him shoving over a table of some sort, it looks like. Mm-hmm. But I really wish they would have split that uh, over two panels and done more of that because it's a really cool panel. Yeah, that would uh, actually, that would have been cool. I'd like to know what he's holding in that third panel because it looks like he's going to bring a hammer down there too, but it doesn't yeah. look as big as a sledgehammer. It could be the sledgehammer again. Um, well, sometimes know. you just need to sledge stuff. It take out apparent. I mean, he obviously he's angry. and. Oh, yeah. If there's one thing I learned yesterday, it's that a, pounding things with a sledgehammer really, really helps you work out some of your aggression. 
And that's one to grow on. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. Uh, but what is Superman doing in that last panel on that page? Thank you. Thank you for noticing because okay. that is not laying down. <laughs> I don't know what's going on. Yeah, there, he's kind of. He's like, it, it's like there's someone trying to take pictures of him just to the corner off panel. So he's <laughs> flashing him his super butt. But the, uh... then he's also trying to pay attention to what's going on inside. And there's no way he can actually be looking through that skylight. No, no. So he's got to be doing off if he is, yeah. Yeah, so he's got to be doing like X-ray, super, X-ray vision, and super hearing going on there. It is a, it's like they caught him crawling. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, like that army belly crawl thing. Um, I don't know what's going on there. I I do have a I did make a note about that. It's like that is that is so. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Only Joe would know. <laughs> But on the next page, we have another very George Reeves-type moment with Superman swinging in the window. Oh, yeah. I like Good that. Good point. Because that's, exact, that's how he actually did it to get right. through the windows. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm a little disappointed, or surprised rather, that Superman didn't figure out that the uh, commissioner was the big boss. His ed- At the beginning of the story, his editor told him that someone in the city administration was likely to... To, uh, was likely aiding the gamblers and uh, after the commissioner stonewalled him you'd think that Clark would have pieced it together because he's usually a little bit quicker on the uptake but that's a good point I had I completely overlooked that because well in my head it was one of those to me it was one of those things where it's like I bet you the commissioner because he's not interested in going after them had right. something to do with it so that was playing in my head when I first read it Right. but I completely missed um the editor's line about the whole city administration thing. So, yeah, he's usually pretty, well. If he hadn't, then that we wouldn't have this 100-panel comic book story. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> panel six, though, gives us the very clear moral of the story. As Superman says, "Gambling is a parasitic vice that has no place in a decent town." So, <laughs> and you can tell that because there is no background. Right. There yeah. are no other people. And it's probably the biggest image of Superman we've had this issue. Just <laughs> <laughs> a, uh, a, a shot of his shoulders up, and very clearly the motto of the, or the moral of the story. It almost—it actually almost looks like some of the images they use for the Superman of America ads. It's uh-huh. like make sure you make yes. sure you send in your money now to get your decoder, so you don't miss out on the single secret message, or something to that effect. You could totally see them changing the word balloon for that. Yeah, and on the final page. And- and this is a probably a, a minor nitpick. I, I work at a newspaper, so oh, okay. I, was a, I was a little surprised to see that the story of the commissioner resigning got stuck on page two, because you think that'd be a little bigger news, especially yeah. when he's uh, part of a gambling racket. That's what I would think too. But maybe page one was all the gamblers getting out of town. <laughs> Could be. Maybe, but yeah, it, it, usually something like that. I know because t- uh, we had that. Um, here in uh, the Tulsa area just a couple years ago, the city commissioner uh, basically resigned. That got all kinds. I mean, every TV news station had the, had coverage of it. That was over the cover of the newspaper. And to see it on page two, there must have been something really big happening at that point. Cause I, and I know it wasn't the um, – uh, it obviously couldn't have been anything war-related because I know back in those days they were trying to hide all the – 
I don't even know if it's going on yet, but all the European war stuff mm-hmm. before we got into it was, oh, they always, they reported it, but kind of hid it right. so that we, uh, you know, so that no one would want to get into it until we got hit. But uh, if you also look at that paper, I don't know what all it's saying, but the word action is in that other little headline. Let me pull up the uh, original. Maybe uh, sometimes, sometimes the printing on things like that gets screwy in the reprints. Well, it looks like it's one of those uh, garbly thing that they normally do because it makes no sense. It looks like D11, the Fakini, in <laughs> action. I'm sure that's what it was. <laughs> yep, but they put in action because, you know, yeah. it's action. I wonder if it submits it today, maybe? Submits. Um, so commission resigns. Um, it could be submits its resignation today, but that's an awful long word to fit in the <laughs> blank there. Submits its. I'm guessing it's submitted either yesterday because he had to get out in 12 hours, or oh, maybe it okay, is submits it today. Because yeah. since because he was part of the he would have been one of the people that got a card, and judging by panel right. 93, he definitely knows he's got to do something. Yeah, yeah. But I like the uh, I like the card trick that that uh, Superman played on them. That was kind of it is ironic. Yeah, uh, uh, getting the gamblers with their own game, I guess you could say. But yeah, this was a really fun story. Um, like I said, Superman's very violent, or at least threatens violence a lot in this issue. But oh yeah. Um, other than that, other than that, and the fact that he, it was kind of convenient how he found the house that ultimately led him to the the big boss. I don't really have any complaints about this issue. No, I thought, and I thought that other than a couple spots where with the weird crawling thing or whatever, and yeah. uh, the somewhat inc- the inconsistency with the S on the cape, and of course that one spot where he doesn't have the S on his shirt, I thought the art looked pretty good, mm-hmm. cons- all things considered. Of course, like you said, it could be because um, he had help, but by this point, I mean with all the stuff gearing up and everything, I'm I was pretty impressed with the art. Well, the art inconsistencies, I mean, that's not something that's, um, I mean, obviously it's Schuster's fault, but it's not something that's just with him because we've noticed it a lot in the Batman stories as well. Oh, really? Yeah, and these art, uh, the inconsistent art, it'll stick around long after Schuster's no longer the regular penciler of the story. Oh, heck yeah. So, I mean, the, the, uh, the S on his chest and his cape will keep changing size and even colors as far as the cape is concerned. You know, yes. well into the forties. So, um, so does Bob Kane sometimes forget to put the bat symbol on Batman's chest? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Excuse yeah. me. The point we're at in the stories now, he's gotten better. Well, him or his inker, uh, Jerry Robinson, has been inking the stories that we're at now. Ooh. But um, so it's gotten a little better. But in those early stories, it was kind of hit and miss sometimes. So. It, it kind of amazes me how they do that. It's it's like these guys are in such a hurry. Yeah. they just forget it but it turned well it might not have been as big of a deal back then but like these days the symbol on their shirts is like one of the most vital parts of right. the costume mm-hmm. anymore because of I mean any of them all the superheroes it seems like try to have some kind of symbol on their chest as I mean because you got you know Robin Batman Superman even Spider-Man and Captain America had them uh-huh. and it's like the most vital part and like these early stories it's just weird to see them the artist just completely forget it yeah. yeah you would think at some point someone would have noticed it especially if he had to go back and ink it right but and it's, it's also interesting just how tiny they are because now that's like you said it's the most visible part of the costume but yes here it's just 
and in the Batman stories too, they're just also so tiny. Well, but it's like I just saw online today. They have um, I don't know if you've seen it. They have the leaked uh, Jim Lee version of the new Justice League costumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw and that. And those the icons on their chest are huge. Yeah. Um, that's not the picture. I'm trying to pull it up here. I mean, Superman's goes literally across his whole torso. Batman's goes across his torso. Wonder Woman's goes across her. And then, of course, the others, other than um, Aquaman's being in a very objectionable spot because of its location, um, it's just they're, they're so huge now. And back then it was like, that's not a big deal. The big deal is the costume and the cape yeah it's really weird but this um yeah i kind of mentioned it earlier but this whole story really felt like an episode of george reeves's adventures of superman to me mm-hmm. it, it just needed you know noel neal and jack larson as jimmy olsen and lois lane getting tied up and left for dead somewhere and we would have had it <laughs> but um i, I, I totally really feel it. Oh, i feel the same way i also could have seen this one just because of all the destruction and stuff i could also totally see it as or hear it i guess as what as an episode of the radio show right although oh, yeah. they probably would have fleshed it out more um probably just because they probably would have wanted to take like two weeks of episodes to tell the story but yeah. um other than that i mean because i could totally see him describing okay just gotta pick this up and uh-huh. you know i could totally see him this this just seems like a perfect story for that yeah. i don't think they ever did that but it seems like it could have been a good story for it um I don't remember any specific gambling stories, but I knew there. Were, I know there was a lot of you know racket uh, story, racketeering stories in oh, the yes. radio serial. But, um, I, mean, I haven't gone through that far through it yet. I was I, I started listening to a bunch, and I thought, you know what, I'm going to wait till uh, the podcast catch up so that I can learn about it. It'll be. I'll be getting to those a um, few more months, and I think John's already started on them, hasn't he? On uh, yeah, as we're recording this, his latest episode, or the one right before it, because um, he broke it up into two parts. But yes, he uh, did the first story so far, I believe. Okay, well, there you go. Uh, this story has been reprinted twice, first in Superman, the Action Comics Archives, Volume 1, and then in Superman Chronicles, Volume 2. Other... Which came out ten years apart. Yeah. S- sorry. <laughs> Other features and ads in this book, we have the normal backup strips, or normal uh, other strips, I guess should, I should say. Pep Morgan, Marco Polo, Clip Carson, Tex Thompson, Chuck Dawson, and a Zaytara story called The Terror from Saturn, where Zaytara meets an alien from Saturn that looks a whole lot like the Manhunter from Mars, John Jones, that will debut in about 15 years from when this story was published. Really? So is, he, was, is he green? He's green. Have you ever seen you know what the Silver Age Martian Manhunter looks like, right? Yeah, really he basically skinny just and... skinny bald man yeah. that's green. He doesn't have that big brow like he gets later. Right. This is what uh, the the Saturn character looks like in the Zaytara story. Weird. He's even got the red straps uh, crossed on his chest. So I thought that was wow. kind of interesting. I got to look at I got to look this up cuz I don't have the uh unlike some people <laughs> I cannot afford an original copy <laughs> of Action Comics 16. I'll let you borrow mine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks. We also have a black and white ads for All-American Comics and Movie Comics, as well as the World's Fair comic. 
And last but not least, we have our second Superman of America page. And there's no special speech from Superman this time, just the requisite subscription information. But the ad does have an offer. Um, it says if you can get three friends to sign up for the club, you get a free Superman of America Club felt emblem to put on your shirt or jacket. And it's a pretty good-sized emblem, too, according to the picture, uh, probably about six inches in diameter. Well, that's so, pretty dandy. Yeah, so I'm going to get Charlie to sign up, and I need two more friends to yes. sign up to get my oh, dandy I am there. emblem. I am there. And we've also got Superman's secret message, which can be decoded using code MARS3 on your Superman of America decoder book. And the message is, Superman of America are opposed to all evil and injustice. Oh, dude. Spoiler warning. <laughs> Oh, I was gonna use it once I got to once I got signed up. Oh, oh well. Well, I no. just saved you the trouble of having to go back and redo them all. So. Well, you did. I guess you saved me a dime. I saved you a dime. Yeah. Thanks, man. <laughs> you are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend. From the pages of a ten-cent pulp comic book to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. Witness the dawn of the superhero. Golden Age Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.libsyn.com. Every legend has a beginning. So the next book we're going to look at is Superman number two. Uh, there was no cover date again on this issue, but the inside says fall 1939. It was released on August 22nd, 1939 for a whopping 10 cents for 64 pages. And the cover is after, by... I'm sorry. I was just saying that's the day after my negative 41st birthday. Oh, well, happy birthday. Thank you. The cover is by <laughs> Joe Schuster and Paul Cassidy, and it shows Superman in midair with a uh, mountain range below him. And a text blurb reads, Another complete book of the astounding adventures of the one and only Superman. What do you think about this cover, Charlie? That is kind of a plain cover. Yeah. it's Superman looks great on it, but it's the, the red bars going down the side really make it feel kind of claustrophobic. Yeah, it just it's it's just nowhere near as cool, and and it's plain, and it doesn't have as much stuff. I mean, Superman number one has a lot more stuff going yeah. on, on the cover, and it doesn't feel anywhere near this. Well, it doesn't feel plain, but it doesn't even feel anywhere near as claustrophobic. Right. It's no wonder that this is not one of the big ones that everyone remembers. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. This Superman figure though was reused on the cover of Superman Chronicles Volume Two. So oh, that was, that's where I remember it. And it is a very – the Superman figure himself is very, very iconic looking, Golden Age iconic, you know. Yes. But the rest yes. of the cover, 
you just kind of get the feeling they just kind of slapped it together at the last minute, really. Yeah, yeah, like, okay, we just need something, because it looks, well, of course, that's how he was, but some of the inking looked really sketchy. It was like, okay, we need to get this drawn and out quick. Right. So, Joe, do something. And um, an homage to this cover was actually done in Superman Adventures, number 26, from 1998, as a sketch done by Jonathan Kent, uh, when a young clerk was trying to decide how to use his powers. And I'm going to scan that and actually put it in the show notes. Okay, it's... yeah, that is a... Okay, I remember that. I don't have it here, my... but I, I remember it. And yeah, that's really cool. But um, the inside of the book, it reprints colorized versions of three storylines from the Daily Strip. These are the comeback of Larry Trent, which was the third storyline from the Dailies. And I covered that back in episode 15. Then there was Superman Champions Universal Peace, which was the sixth storyline from the dailies, and I covered that in episode 21, and this was the storyline where Metropolis and George Taylor were both named for the first time. So it's nice that those are working their way into the comics now, even if it's only as reprints. And lastly, there was Superman and the Skyscraper, uh, which was the fifth storyline from the dailies, and I covered that back in episode 18. I think it's pretty interesting that the um, the reprints from the newspaper uh, strips are given titles, but they don't give titles to the original comic book stories. Yeah. It's weird. Well, really, they only did it for... Yeah, the second and the third have titles, but um, the first one doesn't. But yeah, that is... It, probably what it was was they had a quarter page to fill, or a third of a page. Yeah. So they just put that big header on there with the title. They didn't have time to get Joe to come in and draw something else. Yeah. The uh, the one at the top of the uh, the Superman and the Skyscraper ones looks especially like something you'd see from a cartoon. Uh huh. Just with the writing and stuff, it it yeah. looks like the beginning of a, a Tiny Toons or Animaniacs short. Uh mm-hmm. You notice though that the Superman lettering on that one and on the Superman Champions Universal piece are different. Uh, hold on. The, the, you know, the Superman logo lettering? Yeah, I'm trying to get... Oh, yeah. The Superman logo from Universal Peace looks like, basically looks like the one they used on the cover to Superman 2. Mm-hmm. And then the other one looks the like the more... Like when they try to modern it, modernize it a little bit more. That's actually the same one that they had on that action issue I covered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was also a uh, two-page text story that Charlie's going to tell us about. And this, guys, was one of the best stories I have never seen before. Um, It's untitled, uh, but it looks like it's called Superman. And it's got a great image of Superman's face. And then there's a a couple other little illustrations that are done by Joe Schuster. But the story is... uh, like like Mike said, is a text piece written by Jerry Siegel. And of course, the editor would still be Vin Sullivan because that's what he does. And basically, um, what happens is we begin with a ruthless racketeer, Big Mike Caputo, leaving police headquarters when he's met by a small, uh, small mob of reporters asking why he was meeting with the chief of police. After stating that he was just there for a friendly talk, Daily Star reporter Clark Kent asks why the police chief of Metropolis would be pally with a murderous hoodlum who's been kicked out of a dozen states. This seems to upset Caputo as he grabs Clark, punches him right in the face, and then leaves in a taxi. 
When he recovers, Clark asks why Caputo is still being allowed to roam the streets. At this point, the police chief shows up and reveals that he was actually warning Caputo to stay clean or he'd quickly find himself inside of a cell. While the other reporters are busy busy taking pictures of the police chief, Clark heads down an alley, changes to Superman, and then leaps up to a building roof, or the roof of a building, however you prefer. Using his telescopic X-ray vision, because it's called both here, uh, he sees Caputo exiting his taxi and entering a dejected-looking boarding house. A few careful leaps puts him outside of the building at one of the windows. Inside, he hears Caputo telling his boys about his plans to take over the city, but his boys tell him that he's going to have to deal with Superman. You see, being from out of town, Caputo doesn't actually know about Superman, so he really he thinks that this guy Superman is just a myth and he can stop him, <laughs> like a lot of people do at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, just just so throw just, the gun at him. Just throw it in his chest. <laughs> yeah, that'll that'll stop him because the bullets don't, but the, the gun will. Yeah. So just then, Superman enters, which basically scares uh, Caputo's boys into running away. And he makes a deal with Caputo that they will tussle, and whoever loses, even though I wrote looses, because I can't spell, whoever loses their tussle has to leave Metropolis. So Caputo agrees, and they start in. Caputo gives Superman a good punch, but apparently it's like punching granite, which hurts. So Superman picks him up and throws him into the ceiling, then catches him, twirls him around the way Thor twirls Millionaire, or whatever the hammer's called. It's not a Thor podcast, so never mind. Uh, so then Superman basically throws Caputo out of a window. Fortunately for Caputo, Superman speeds out of the window and catches him before he hits the ground. But by this point, Caputo has pretty much had enough. So once Superman finally releases him, Caputo f- flees, while Superman reminds him that if he returns, there will be an encore of this fight waiting for him. That night, an inner page of the evening edition of the Daily Star carried the headline, Police Chief Makes Racketeer Leave Town, by Clark Kent. I really like this story. Um, I like the. I think I like the one from the Superman number one a little more, but uh-huh. I really thought this was fun, too. This actually seemed to fit really well with the kind of story that Siegel was telling in the uh, actual comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I could totally, even more than the panel, than the little spot illustrations that Schuster gave, I could totally see this as a comic story. Definitely, yes. One of the shorter ones, but totally, I could, I could, yeah, I could totally see this as a comic story. Like, um, like the first one, it's very much from the point of view of the the heavy of the story or the bad guy, I guess you might even call him. Mm-hmm. The first one was pretty much all from his point of view, and this one. This one is until about, um, I don't know, halfway, two-thirds of the way through, and then it switches to kind of Superman's point of view. But, And I, I kind of like I like that they, or that Siegel in these stories did that, because it, especially in the first one, it gave you the, uh, the outsider's point of view on Superman, uh-huh. where you haven't really gotten that at all in the comic stories or the newspaper strips. Exactly. At the top of page three, we have a really nice... Description of the uh, the or the description and the change of, of attitude between Clark and Superman, and mm-hmm. it says, um, as flash bombs exploded about the chief of police, Clark Kent unobtrusively slipped away from the others. 
Amazingly enough, once he had succeeded in eluding the others, he no longer appeared like a man who had been on the receiving end of a terrific haymaker. No patting of a tender, aching jaw. Now, instead, that jaw was set firmly in an attitude of grim determination. Yeah, that's really definitely like that. Superman. It's definitely Golden Age Superman mm -hmm. right there. And Metropolis is named here in this story. Uh, on the second page, about halfway down the first column, which makes this the first time it's been named in the comics, in an original story from the comics, even though okay. it was in that strip they reprinted from the newspaper. So that Good was point. that was interesting to me. Um, wait a minute. I thought that it was named in that Action Comics story. Was it? Hold on, let me go back and look. If it was, I missed it. Yeah, um, when Clark goes to see the editor, who has a lot of hair there, uh, What's on your mind, Clark? And he says, just this. How come gambling is permitted to flourish in the city of Metropolis? And why hasn't the Daily Star done anything about it? Oh, very good. So, so Metropolis. Very good. Well, thank they, you for pointing that out. I somehow completely missed that. So score That's one right. for Charlie. Yay! I totally would have missed it if I hadn't just done the review of it. But yay! <laughs> All right. So... So we have, definitely, we have Metropolis established in the comic books now as well. So that's cool. Still no George Taylor. No, He hasn't not been yet. in the comics. But um, it's really neither here nor there, but I've been trying to keep track of these things just for my, you know, for the historical perspective on things. Of course. But, um, when I read Superman's dialogue in this, I really hear Bud Collier's voice going back oh, yeah. to talking about the radio serial. It just, maybe because he's so captured the golden age Superman for me mm -hmm. doing the voice, you know, all the way through I, the golden age, basically. So. Exactly. I just wish there could have been a, this looks like a job for Superman to really, yeah, they haven't, they haven't pulled that line out yet. They've mm -hmm. done similar ones, but that specific phrasing, they haven't. I think they actually do. Once they actually start getting the radio show, mm -hmm. sometimes it's just usually Superman has, will have to take a part in this or something. But yeah, it's a really fun story. Uh, did you have any other? I did have a negative point to make, which um, it kind of makes sense why it was done, but the part where Clark goes Caputo at the beginning of the story just seemed uh, as a way for Siegel to just kind of introduce the character to the reader. Yeah. Because uh, he couldn't come up, because he could, couldn't use like a comic panel to say, this is Mike, big Mike Caputo. He is, you know... He's a big deal and has been kicked out of a dozen states and is murderous and stuff like that. So this time he has Clark kind of go at a character to say, you know, to basically introduce him and then get punched. But other than that, I thought it was yeah, a really fun story. But it could also be that it's from Caputo's point of view. So we're we're seeing his opinion of Clark. There's that. As yeah, the, point. As the, I, don't, I don't know, really as a bully, but, you know... But yeah, I, I definitely understand what you're saying there. Yeah. I, I although I kind of like how it goes full circle because it seems like Clark thinks he's he's a full full of himself there, and Big Mike takes him down, and then later on Big Mike thinks he's full. Or Big Mike's all full of it, and then Superman takes him down. Uh huh. And, and gives the police chief credit for it, which I like. exactly exactly. I I like that too because yeah because you know. It just, I, 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 mm -hmm. <laughs> I actually had that as a positive too. That uh, Clark gave the police chief oh, all the credit. I'm walking all over your notes, aren't I? I'm sorry. Oh no, no problem. Because I was walking on yours. But um, 
yeah, I, I thought it was really cool that Clark gave him the credit because I, you know, because at this point Superman is kind of a well, <laughs> even though everyone knows about him, he seems to be more trying to do stuff in the background. So right, it yeah. makes sense, and I like that. But um, this is the second Superman tech story, and I believe the last. And I don't really know why there weren't more of these. Um, I don't know if Siegel just didn't like writing them, or if they just found it more efficient to use, you know, the generic filler text pieces and let Siegel focus on the regular stories. Probably the latter, you know. Yeah. At, at this point, they had the, um, well, just action. Super, or, yeah, Superman was all reprints, but they had the newspaper stories. The Sunday is right around the corner, so that's a lot of writing. Yeah, I think uh, I think I heard Mike say to or Mike Ki- Michael Kaiser for those not in the know, um, and because we have seven other mics in this <laughs> <laughs> doing these podcasts, but I think I I, I liked what he had said is like they just. You know, they have all these filler runs, and they're just like, you know what, we don't have time. Jerry's writing, like, 17 stories every month. Let's just throw this one in there. Right. So, although apparently that's one of your notes, so I just walked on you. Yay! Oh, you're fine. (laughs) No, you're fine. Um, The the three stories, like I said, they're all reprinted from the newspaper serial, but if you want to read the colorized versions, you can find them in Superman Archives Volume 1, and Superman Chronicles Volume 2, and the text story is in both those places as well. You know, before we move on, though, I, I, wonder, I was wondering something. I don't know if you would know, but I it's just a point. Um, the, there's a description of Superman's X-ray vision in this when he's using his, well, they call it telescopic X-ray vision. Um, of course, now I have to find it again because it just closed um, the darn book. First page about but, halfway down. Yeah, um, uh, using his amazing telescopic X-ray eyesight, uh, it's no, that's not it. Where is it? His eyes blazed with fierce, penetrating flame, as well as they might, for he was surveying the surrounding vicinity with his amazing telescopic X-ray eyesight. And it makes me wonder if that had anything to do with why, um, for a long time, and I want to say it was probably until the Silver Age, but it might have even gone into the Silver Age, that Superman didn't actually have heat vision. Mm. He had, it was the heat of his X-rays is what what he would use to, like, melt things and stuff. And the heat vision didn't become a separate power until later. It so I'm wondering, be. I'm wondering if this was like the start of that, or I don't know if he'd said it before, but I'm wondering if this was maybe the start of that, and they just kept with that it later could on. Be. There's um, at this point, there's been no mention at all of Superman having heat vision, like we normally think of it, right? You know, where he can burn through things. And you know, I've never looked into it, but you're very, you could very well be right on that. So I don't know. I just just wanted to point that out. <laughs> um. Despite the fact that there was a lot of reprinted material in this book, there's some other features, too, that I'm going to run through real quick. Uh, The first page of the book, right when you open the front cover, is a really great frontispiece that reads, Superman, the man of tomorrow, the further breathtaking exploits of that amazing character, Superman, America's greatest adventure strip. And it shows a collage of scenes showing Superman doing various things, like throwing a car, leaping up a skyscraper outrunning a race car, bouncing bullets off his chest. They pretty much all correspond to scenes in previous stories. Unfortunately, this page was not reprinted in the Chronicles volume, which is really unfortunate because it's a nice page. 
I think it might have been in the archives, though. I don't have the it archives. It was. It was? Okay. I, yeah, because that... I, I have the archives also. They're just not as easy to get to for me right yeah. now. And it is reprinted there. The, what I was going to wonder, though, because I never... Since I haven't looked at it for a while. Do you have... Were these, like, cut uh, scenes cut up and put in there, or was this all original art? They weren't... No, they weren't panels from previous stories. I mean, they, they were scenes from previous stories, most of them, but they weren't the actual panels themselves. It looks like... They were redrawn. Okay. Well, that, to so be that's similar a, too. Yeah. So that's another big heavy thing that Joe had to do, or Whoever. someone had to mm-hmm. do. Yeah. Right. Okay. And we also have a page giving us Superman's tips for super health. Number one, <laughs> exercise regularly. Number Yay. two, get sufficient rest and plenty of fresh air. Number three, stay outdoors as much as possible. And number four, but above all, consume vitamin-rich food. That's right. So this page is kind of the earliest uh, example of a public service announcement starring (laughs) Superman. Yay, go kids. Right. (laughs) And we also have ads for Action Comics and the New York World's Fair comic, now priced at 15 cents rather than the quarter that it was originally. Okay. And it also says the book is available at newsstands. And I didn't realize that it was sold at newsstands. Um, I thought it was only sold at the itself and by mail so I uh, might have heard that on John's show but yeah the um, what I want to say is they it was 25 cents if you bought it at the fair but they had a whole bunch left over right so then they sent them out to the newsstands and put some sticker on them right. and apparently the originals are easier to find but the they had a sticker that covered up the price so it would say 15 cents uh-huh. And then they sold it on the newsstand so that more people could get it. But it was, yeah. So cause they were, those were they were just left over because not a whole lot of people actually bought them at the fair because of the most probably because of the price. It was but, a whole quarter, yeah, yeah. Of course, but, it's um, ninety six pages, but still. But at the same time, the fair was still. This is this is um, this was August, so the fair was still going on now. So it couldn't have been you know after the fair was over. Well, then I don't know. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, but anyway, head down to your local newsstand and buy a copy. Um, plus, it also says that those who have paid $0.25 cents will have, by this time, received a complimentary copy of the Superman book selling at $0.10 cents to make up the difference in price. And my only question is, how did they track down all those who had bought the $0.25 cent version to send them? Could you order the New York World's Fair comic? Yes. Yeah, you could buy it at the fair itself, or you could order it through the mail. Maybe it was just they only did it to the people that ordered it. That could be. And then if you bought it at the actual fair, you're just SOL. Right. But getting a free copy of either Superman number one or Superman number two was pretty lucky for them if they ended up saving it. So. Darn tootin'. As long as that whole paper rationing thing didn't get in the way. Yeah, well, yeah. And lastly, we have a two-page Superman of America ad. Uh, there's no special messages or secret codes, but we're again given information on the offer to sign up our friends and receive that dandy Superman emblem for your jacket. Sweet. When Captain America throws his mighty shield, all those who chose to oppose his shield must yield. 
Hey, John, how's it going? Not bad, Mike. I just want to let you know I really enjoyed the latest episode of Legends of the Batman. You and Michael Bradley are doing great over there. Thanks, man. Now, if I could just get this other podcast rolling for my favorite character, I don't suppose you'd want to hear about it. Me? Do another podcast? I already have shows about my two favorite characters with Amazing Spider-Man Classics and Golden Age Superman, and not to mention co-hosting Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man Podcast. There's no way I could do another weekly show. Hmm, well, who said it has to be weekly? Well, even even bi-weekly would still... What about monthly? Monthly? What were you thinking? Well, I already have a Golden Age show going, so I was thinking Silver Age with... Oh, 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 you know what would be cool? A Silver Age Marvel show talking about every Marvel comic book ever that would rock. Yeah, for like ten episodes, but then we'd have so many books going we'd never get anywhere. Yeah, that's probably true. So who were you thinking? Captain America? Captain America. I I, I like Captain America. And there's the movie this year, too, so it'd be perfect. So you're thinking like a monthly show on the Silver Age books? Yeah. Oh, but but what about the Golden Age? Could we could we work that in? Because we both love Golden Age comics, and I've I've never read a lot of that stuff. It could be fun. Sure, and that first issue of Captain America Comics is amazing. We could probably talk for hours about just that issue. <laughs> I also love the Brubaker stuff, and you know he is starting up a new series when the movie comes out. So Golden Age, Silver Age, and modern? Well, if it's monthly. I like it. Okay, cool. So when and where are we doing this? Let's meet once a month at themightyshield.com and on iTunes for The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast to cover every Captain America adventure from the Golden Age, the Silver Age, and today. Alright, so the third and final issue of the episode is Action Comics number 17 which was released around August 31st, 1939, for the normal 10-cent price and 64 pages. Our artist is Joe Schuster, and probably Paul Cassidy inking as well. And it shows Superman in the middle of a battlefield, hoisting a huge tank above his head while bullets are fired from soldiers' guns. Uh, They bounce off Superman's chest. It is cool. Yeah, it's a very eye-catching cover but not the greatest shot of Superman. No, it's a weird-looking tank, too. Yeah, Joe Schuster had problems drawing tanks. <laughs> it looks like a, a futuristic but old-school tank. There was a uh, one of the splash panels from several issues ago that had a tank on it, and it didn't look much better. Oh, okay. <laughs> but um, generally well, speaking, though, I like, I like these war covers, generally speaking, of Superman and, and on the battlefield and stuff. I, I like those. Oh, yeah. What about when they get to the war bonds? Yeah. <laughs> eh, they're not bad. <laughs> those are, yeah, those are just very much of their time, you know. Yeah. I, I laugh at uh, Superman and Batman and Robin, you know, planning a victory garden, but <laughs> it's, it's it's of its time, so. Yes, yes. Back in those days, they were allowed to. Yeah. Can you Nowadays. imagine Batman of today planting a garden? Murder me! <laughs> I don't think they'd let him. Well, actually, well, actually, no. They no, don't no. Dan, Dan DeDio wouldn't let him do that unless he was gutting someone as he did it. Exactly. But. Yeah. Or you know, he was planting it because there's someone buried. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Okay. <laughs> but our uh, our 13-page Superman story, 
was untitled, of, of course, but has later been called The Sabotage of the Clarion and The Return of the Ultra-Humanite. It was written by Jerry Siegel with art by Joe Schuster and Paul Cassidy and, as always, edited by Vince Sullivan. And our story begins with a frantic SOS from the steamship Clarion. Not only is the steamer ablaze, but it is caught in the middle of a turbulent storm. Clark Kent is sent to cover the story, and as he arrives on scene, he finds the Coast Guard preparing for a rescue attempt. A boat full of Coast Guard troops attempts to make their way through the storm and out to the stranded steamer, but the storm and the waves prove too much, and the men succumb to a watery death. Clark decides that this is a job for Superman, and stripping off the suit of everyone's favorite mild-mannered reporter, dives into the water and swims through the angry waves, astounding onlookers on the beach. As Superman reaches the Clarion, the boat's passengers run frantically about. The fire and the storm have caused chaos and confusion. Anarchy and frenzy reign. It's a madhouse! A madhouse! <laughs> Superman, <laughs> Superman's appearance on the boat only causes more pandemonium, as you might imagine. But Superman has no time for such tomfoolery and gets right down to the business of tossing people around. Learning that the captain is injured, Superman quickly takes charge and asks for all, all able-bodied men as volunteers to battle the raging inferno. Superman orders the men to use anything they can to stamp out the flames, but that effort proves fruitless. Superman orders one of the men to bring him the deck hose intent on using it to douse the fire. The men try to stop him, thinking it's a suicide mission, but Superman breaks through and, hose in hand, jumps down into the ship's flaming hold. With burning flames leaping towards Superman's invulnerable frame, Superman is able to use the hose to put out the fire. Superman climbs out of the hold to cries of jubilation from the passengers. But just then, a frantic crewman says the ship has struck some rocks, and with the engines blown due to the fire, the ship is doomed to sink. Without saying a word, Superman is off, running down the ship and diving overboard. The passengers think he's either abandoned the ship or committed suicide, but actually, Superman swims to the back of the ship and begins pushing the Clarion back to shore. As the Clarion nears shore, the Coast Guard toss a line to the ship, allowing the passengers to be transported back to land. And with the Clarion and her passengers safe, Superman takes his leave. The next day, Clark visits the wreckage of the boat and accompanies investigators aboard the ship. As they enter the hold, they see a huge pile of busted oil drums and gas cans and realize that the fire aboard the Clarion was arson. Excited by the scoop, Clark heads to the office of Deering Lines, owner of the Clarion. He asks to speak to the general manager, but is told that he's not in. Clark doesn't take too well to that information, so he picks the guy up over his head and... Well, we don't really know, because we have an abrupt cut to shortly later when Clark is speaking to the general manager. <laughs> Clark tells the manager that he believes the Clarion fire was arson, but the manager begs him not to print the story, explaining that the Clarion is the fourth ship in the line to have been sabotaged, and so far they've managed to keep the story quiet. He goes on to say that persons unknown have contacted him demanding $5 million or more ships will be destroyed. Just then, the phone rings. Clark listens in on a second line as the blackmailers claim responsibility for the fire and tell the manager that they will contact him again soon. But in the meantime, he is to say nothing to the reporter in his office. Clark thinks that the voice sounds familiar and tries to trace the call, 
but the operator tells him that according to their records, no calls have been made to the office. As Clark leaves, he thinks that only one man could have done such a feat as calling without using the telephone company lines, and it's then that he remembers the voice, the mad scientist who seeks domination of the earth, the ultra-humanite. However, before Clark can ponder it any more, he is surprised by a couple goons who toss him into a car. Clark plays along as the goons attempt to rough him up. They then warn him to steer clear of daring lines and toss him out of the moving car. Unharmed, naturally, but really ticked off, Clark quickly transforms to Superman and chases after the car. Clark easily overtakes the car, grabs it, and with a mighty leap, roughly deposits the car atop a skyscraper. Later, the goons report back to the ultra-humanite, who realizes that with Superman involved, he's got to act fast. So he uses the device that lets him make calls without using the telephone lines to call the Daring office, telling the manager to send $5 million to 211 Court Avenue immediately, or tomorrow all his ships will be destroyed. Thankfully, Superman, who was just hanging around outside the manager's office, heard the call and follows the messengers as he goes to deliver the payment. After receiving the money, the ultra-humanite orders his lackey to eliminate the messenger, but just then, Superman busts through the wall. The ultra-humanite belittles Superman, saying that he arrived precisely as expected and that the ultra-humanite is prepared. The ultra-humanite wields a gun, which he claims emits an acid so powerful it would even harm Superman, and warns him to stay back. But Superman charges after the madman, only to crash into an invisible barrier. The ultra-humanite again mocks Superman over his transparent and unbreakable metal, but bracing himself and charging with all his might, Superman shatters the barrier. Superman reaches out to grab the ultra-humanite, but the madman's body wavers and disappears. It was a mere projection of the mad scientist, who has once again escaped. The messenger then pulls a gun, placing the thug under arrest as Superman leaves. Later, as Clark writes up his story, he laments the Ultra-Humanite's escape, but says that next time, he may not be so lucky. <laughs> that was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, it was a good story. Our splash page shows Superman leaping up alongside a skyscraper, and it's a really great splash. Superman looks really, really great. That's a classic pose, too. Oh, definitely. He's, he's got one hand, one hand outstretched, uh, very much like the flying pose the iconic mm -hmm. flying pose that will come along and it's really cool his S here um, it looks like it's a black field with a yellow border and a red S but it's not like that in the rest of the issue so I'm wondering if that was just an inking that, yeah that's issue. what I was thinking because I mean it, it looks cool but like you said it doesn't look that way anywhere else so it's right. probably just yeah um but the intro here was used back in Action Comics number 10, so I'm not going to uh, reread that. But um, it's just a really dynamic opening here. Siegel throws us right into the action with the storm and the, the burning ship, and I really liked it. Mm -hmm. Although, I, the first when I first looked at this, it looked like the uh, guy on the boat doing the SOS. It looks like he's got a tree growing behind him instead of smoke. But that's yeah. just a combination of the color they chose right. and the art limitations of the day. Yeah, the col yeah. Uh, and killing off the boatload of Coast Guard officers and the art, they both give you the uh, real feeling that the situation is pretty dire. Mm -hmm. 
and I like Siegel's writing, um, especially in panel, I guess it's panel 10 on page 2. It says, um, Nature's unleashed fury, pitted against the strength of one man. But what a man! Stronger than the howling winds and battering waves that seek to drag him under, Superman valiantly battles on and on. That was very cool. That is cool. I like the, uh, he's really good at showing some rough water, too. Yeah. And the the, the waves. I like the uh, the fact that the Coast Guard had, was having to row out. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of weird. Although, although, granted, I guess he couldn't have actually gotten there in time at this point, but I thought it was kind of weird that Superman didn't actually um, try to save the Coast Guard. But then again, they also knew what they were getting into when they tried the their little stunt. Yeah. So and it, it looks like part the, of it. the waves just tossed the boat over, and, and then it, you know they probably died. Mm-hmm. Maybe not instantly, but but pretty soon, you know, crushed by the waves. But I really love these Superman versus Nature stories. Uh, we haven't really gotten too many. The first one was in Action Comics number five, with uh, Superman uh, in the dam. But um. To me, that's more of a job for Superman than, you know, just random crooks and shysters. Uh, even though in this era he is very much the champion of the oppressed and helping out the little guy, but I still like mm-hmm. the, the nature stories. Oh, yeah. It's really cool. I mean, it really gives you more of an idea because the power of any of him over other guys can be subjective to what they can do and stuff. Right. But I'm sure the people of this era could probably relate more to floods and these giant storms and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I think anybody can relate to that, you know, because... Oh, yeah. Even if you haven't been hit by a big storm or something, you, you everybody knows what nature can do. So... Mm-hmm. Even back then, because they still would have had pictures and stuff in the oh, newspapers. Oh, definitely, yeah, right. And the radio reports and... Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, we, we going on to page three, we've clearly not gotten to the Superman yet that people just feel safer around simply by him being there because he shows up and people just go you know more out of their heads but i really like that superman comes in and he just immediately takes charge that's that's great and the s on his cape is colored correctly yep it's all yellow till the last panel but still well like i said there's still a lot of a lot of inconsistencies in the in the future so oh yeah (laughs) and on page four he says, bring me the water hose. If they had a water hose, why why didn't they try to use that before yeah, instead, instead of, of slapping the flames with a wet mop? Well, <laughs> yeah. It's like, duh. Yeah. I don't know. That makes no sense. And, and Superman putting out the flames with a water hose, to me, seems kind of blasé. But the more I think about it, the more I think what uh, Siegel was going for was that he's down in the midst of the flames. Mm-hmm. Putting it out, so and he didn't have super breath yet, so he right. really right. didn't have a good way to put it out, I guess, because yeah, without poking holes in the boat, that wouldn't help much. Yeah, that would just would have sunk, <laughs> which it ultimately did anyway. But oh well, yeah, yeah, exactly. And speaking of it, did you think that that was a bit much? I mean, this the ship has um, it's on fire and it's in the middle of a storm, and they they solve those problems, but then well, they didn't really solve the solve the storm issue, I guess. It just kind of right. goes away, but um. But yeah, it seemed a little much that it would then go ahead and sink. Uh. It's like we well, hit rock. It's like, well, it's like one problem after another, you know, because it's, it's like, yeah. But 
but, but it, it does... give us another cool scene of Superman jumping off the boat and shoving it back to shore. So... Oh yeah, that's the second time he's do- he's he dove in this story, and it definitely. I mean, granted, he's heading down and he's trying to dive like a normal person would dive into water, but right. it's definitely got the Superman flying position down. Right yeah, there. he just needs to be facing the other direction and. Yeah, yeah. upwards or something, but yeah. So we know Joe Schuster could have drawn a nice looking super flying Superman. Oh yeah, he, could, he would have done a good job. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I'm thinking the uh, hitting the rock was a crud. We're down. We need one more page. All right, let's have him hit a rock. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just something. Yeah. Although it looks kind of weird, I don't know how many people are in there, but that's either one big guy, or when the passengers are being transferred, that means like there's a bunch of people in there and one person gets a leg out of it. I think that's one person, but that's a big pouch for one person. Well, there's probably two or three. I see... I see one pair of legs. I I think I can make out one person in there, but I don't know. Yeah, you see a head. Maybe it's like a a man and a child or something. That's possible, yeah. Or it's just a really big man. Yeah. Because that looks like Humpty Dumpty. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) Uh, and then the next page we have Clark just kind of chilling out in his boss's office he's all kicked back and hands in his pockets leaning up against the desk it's very and very his, relaxed Clark his boss has brown hair now mm-hmm. kind yeah. of yeah like I said they kind of they're not real consistent on the uh, the, the uh, editor at this point no not so much <laughs> and then we get to easily the most bizarre scene in the issue with Clark just picking a guy up over his head meek mild Clark Kent picking a guy up over his head yeah and then nothing's ever done about it because <laughs> we just cut to the next page and he's talking to the general manager so well it's almost like it's almost like oh man I just realized that on this panel he's kind of being Superman but he's still Clark we right. didn't have him change right so what do we do well on the next page just pretend that didn't happen yeah, just and, cut the next page out, yeah. I mean, it's kids. They won't notice. <laughs> um, I like the guy's mustache on the next page, though, because you can tell he's definitely got a mustache. It kind of looks like a Teddy Roosevelt mustache. Uh-huh. But they, at least in the reprint, they never actually color the mustache. Right. So it looks like he's just got this really bad skin condition. <laughs> it was kind of like that in the original, too. Oh, is it? Okay. Yeah. There's a couple panels where it looks like he's got a mustache, but like in that very last panel where he's on the phone, you just see a little bit of stubble like on the right side, left side of his face. Okay. Just like in the reprints, basically. So. And then it, on the next page, it just looks like shadow when they have that really close-up of his... Yeah. Yeah. Okay, this was this was something that got me when I was reading um, the... They use a different instead of using another kind of word balloon or something to indicate someone's talking on the phone. Uh-huh. It's got bubbles like a thought balloon. Right. And it looks like this guy's having a conversation in his mind. <laughs> yeah. And, at this point in comics, they really hadn't standardized um, the different speech balloons. Right. Sometimes you would see a, a thought balloon just as a regular balloon, and and they would use, like you said, the what we think of now as thought balloons as someone speaking off panel or from a mm-hmm. phone so but. <laughs> but yeah because because I'm so used to the way it's done now it just looks like he's thinking to himself but it also got me I mean it makes sense because it helps set up the ultra human thing but 
Clark has been up until this point been pretty good about hearing the conversations with his hearing. Right. Just, so it was kind of weird that he picked up a phone and that the person and that he, okay so he, okay I just realized that he's in the same office. Right. So yeah because if you look at the panel 57 you see um, the boss sitting in the chair there. Yeah you can see him. Or the, the manager and then you see Clark so why there's two phone lines in the office, I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. it. But it appears, though, that the guy actually knew Clark was doing that because they talk about it later. Right. So, And that looks like Lois as an operator. It does. I thought it was, like, when I was coming <laughs> uh, like, through the story at first. Well, yeah, first glance, because I kind of looked through it before I read it. And at first glance, it looked like Clark was trying to call the, plan- the, the Star or the Daily Star or something. And the boat captain guy, or the owner of the uh, thing, was listening in, and that Clark was trying to talk to Lois. And when he's got his arm on the table, it was like, Lois, you've got to listen. Stop being a <laughs> pain in the butt. Stop and being she's annoying. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like I know she you has hate been. me, but yeah. <laughs> and she's like, well, you listen here, Clark. <laughs> and stuff like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he's with the guy again. It's like, okay, so maybe something else has happened. And then I realized it wasn't even Lois. It's like, wow, she's got a lot of doubles out there. <laughs> Mary, the football girlfriend. and Yes. Uh, the yeah. But it was nice seeing Clark put things together after, you know, not doing so uh, in the last action issue we talked about. Yeah. I was happy that he figured out that it was the Ultra Humanite. Pretty quick on one panel, too. Yeah. I don't know if even Batman could, well, Batman could do that, but not too many of the, not too many people could actually put it all together in one panel. Especially since he only met him the one time. No, he's been two action comics. Oh, this is the third time? This is the third Ultra Humanite, yep. Okay. I'm keeping up. Okay. <laughs> there was, um, it was Action Comics 13 was the first appearance, and then Action Comics 14 was the second oh, appearance. Oh, that's right. And now we're in 17, so yeah. That's right. That's right. I knew that. I was just, just seeing if you were listening. <laughs> Quiz show. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but on the next page, we have a very ticked off Superman that, you know, had this been a modern story, his eyes would have been burning red. Oh, yeah. And you can tell he's pissed because he's frowning. Oh, yeah. And Superman never frowns in the Golden Age. He frowns a lot in this era. But... <laughs> <laughs> Shh. But, yeah, he looks really, really ticked off. This is an audio podcast about a visual medium. <laughs> they don't know that. Shh. <laughs> and I love how he just picks the car up and throws it on the roof and leaves. <laughs> like, That's awesome. Uh, I would really like to see this happen, and, see, and I'm wondering how many building roofs are capable of holding a car. Uh, yeah, I've questioned that too. Yeah, because you don't see it too Especially often. Especially in this era, but mm-hmm. but you never know. Yeah, you know, the, the cars were solid steel back then, and yeah, they were heavier then than they are now. Right. But anyway, before he does that, I, I missed it. But he's got a he's picking the car up in a panel very similar to Action Comics number one and we've been okay. seeing that kind of imagery a lot both in the comics and the newspaper strips so yes yeah, it's I mentioned it, but. it's it's like well it's not as bad as Bob Kane but it's like it's one of the one of his rep uh, one of the big ones in his repertoire he's really good at showing a guy holding a car over his head that or I've I've 
I, I think I mentioned it uh, last episode or the one before, but it, it just seems like that that imagery was kind of as popular then, you know, as popular and iconic oh, as it yeah. is now. Because it's there, still sensational because... <laughs> yeah, I mean, there wasn't many other characters then that could throw cars around, so... Yeah. Then we get the return of the ultra-humanite, who really doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that you'd want to go back to and say that you failed. No, no, <laughs> Some no. Some wild story about a super strong guy, but... But he squints, so it can't be... He can't... <laughs> so what do you what do you think about the ultra-humanite? Just kind of in general. Uh, he's, he's... I can see very much how people can confuse him with Lex Luthor. Um... He's you know very bald, mm-hmm. and he's he he wants to take over the world, and he's really smart. Uh, I I actually think he's a pretty cool villain for him. It kind of stinks that after a little bit he goes away. Right. Um, although Luther does come in, but and it's basic. Luther's basically almost the same in a lot of ways. Yeah, in a lot of ways. But uh, but yeah, at this point he's basically a proto Luther. So it, it I would like to find out. Well, I guess we do find out how he does it here, but he does, he does some really stra- uh, weird stuff with technology. Yeah, well, that's what I get... like about him. And he's 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 very much more of a supervillain character. You know, he's got all the fancy gadgets and the, exactly. the technology and stuff, and... which is cool because of how f- I mean, because he's basically a frail guy because he can't walk and stuff right. yet. But um, it it does it, it he does strike me as weird because now see this. I don't know how well I guess a little bit I could see how taking over a cruise line and getting money would help take over the world but I'm still not sure about the whole like cab company thing and... yeah that those <laughs> <laughs> it th- those plans don't seem very uh, um, effective in, in world domination it, exactly it's it, like it, I'm going to take over the world ways, it's like <laughs> what I'm going to take over the world one cab company and subway company and ship liner company at a time right but here it, he's, you know, blackmailing the the shipping lines. Five million dollars—that's nothing to sneeze at now. No. Even then, it was, you know, then it was a lot more. So. Five million dollars. Yeah. So if you're trying to raise capital, which I think he actually mentions, yeah, if I'm going to continue my costly subversive activities, I've got to get capital, huge sums of it at once. So he's. So he's still trying, trying to raise to money. Raise money. Right. to do the world domination stuff. Right. Uh, so maybe that ex- doesn't really explain the first two at all, but still. Yeah, it didn't explain the first two, but um, supervillains can't have bake sales. so Exactly. Well, yeah, you probably would notice. Plus, a guy like that, you wouldn't want to feel comfortable buying a cupcake from him. <laughs> and um, I had a note about why Superman was just hanging from the windowsill outside the manager's office. But Superman says, I guess I've come just in time. So maybe he was climbing into the window or it's it's yeah, very it's... awkward and it doesn't make a lot of sense. But if he had just gotten there and was entering the building, I can maybe understand. Yeah, it. this was this is before he had the chance to do his in through the window entrance that he always makes. Right. Yeah, this is how this is, we we finally learned that first he's got to hang on and grab it and pull himself up. And then he does a little acrobatic flip, yeah. Yeah, he's got to, you know, check his neck, crack his knuckles, <laughs> do all that prep work before he makes that scary leap into the office. So. Yeah. And in panel one, or excuse me, 89, we have a guy 
as Superman busts through the wall, uh, one of the crooks says, The Man of Steel! Which I think is the first in-story reference, the first time a person in-story has referred to him as the Man of Steel. Uh, we've okay. Seen it, we've seen it in... The captions? Uh, yeah, the captions, but I don't think that anyone's ever called him that before, as far as the character goes, so I thought that was neat. Okay, yeah. That is... Yeah, uh, I always love the firsts. And I really like the Ultra Humanites dialogue uh, in that last panel there. Uh, it's just very, very evil supervillain, you know. For a man possessing super strength, and you show an amazing lack of intuition. I've been expecting you, Superman, and I am prepared. And he's right. Superman is a bit dense to just go charging into the Ultra Humanite's lair, considering the last two times he did it, he got caught in a trap. Yeah. But, anyone else? Anyone else? The element of surprise would work, but not with the Ultra. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't get caught in a trap this time, but it turns out the Ultra Humanite was never there to begin with. So. Exactly. But the uh, speaking of the technology. The Ultra Humanite uses a hologram, or a projected image here, as they call it, and that was very much ahead of its time, because holography wasn't invented until the late 1940s. Oh. And the first practical holograms of 3D objects weren't until the 60s. And even today, we don't have technology to make a hologram that can be confused for the real thing. Oh, heck no. So, the Ultra ghosts. Humanite... Ghosts! They have, they have some good ones for ghosts. Well, if you've ever been to Disney, the Haunted Mansion, but still. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, one thing I didn't really understand at the end of the story was, uh, was the messenger really a cop, or was he just packing a gun? Uh, that's a good point. Because He's he got a gun, a gun too. and he says, keep your hands raised, all of you are under arrest. But if he was a cop, then why didn't he stop the blackmailing scheme before now? Or was this whole thing a plan between the Superman and the manager. Hmm. I don't good I didn't point. Really get that. That's a good point. It's like he wasn't quite ready yet. Right. I don't know. Well, here's a question for you, though. Okay. If the ultra-humanite is behind a force field or force barrier or something, mm-hmm. how is that acid thing going to get Superman? Well, the, the gun was ne- the ultra humanite was holding the gun, and the ultra right. humanite was that never there to begin with. Oh, so he didn't even have a gun, so it right. never worked. It anyway. was just a threat to say, "Stay away." It's probably to plastic. Superman's head, I guess. Because, I do like yeah. the art. Uh, was it panel ninety four that actually has him go through? Apparently, go through the invisible barrier. Uh huh. That's kind of cool, you actually. See for shards of it shattering. Uh huh. Yeah, the art in this issue is again is really strong. I think. Yeah, he's really getting the hang of this now. Superman looks really great <clears throat> charging around. And, you know, when he's, um, after he gets thrown out of the car, go, not to go back a couple pages, but uh, he, when he's really angry, he looks great there. And then the next panel, we see him charging after the car. It looks really, really awesome. And the Ultra Humanite looks evil. Not quite as sinister as we saw him in the last issue, but. Um, but still, he, he definitely looks like a bad guy. Oh, yeah. And we have a very nice panel at the end of Clark Kent with his typing his story. His sleeves are rolled up. It's, it's a really great, great, great Clark his, Kent image. 
He's got his bottle of whiteout or mm-hmm. ink or whatever that is. I think is. it's yeah. ink, maybe. I don't think they had really whiteout back in 1939, but I could be wrong. Yeah, well, I don't know. I figured they could use that. But, of course, they could just kind of line through it, I guess, because they haven't put it in the paper yet. Right. But I think this is my favorite of the three Ultra Humanite stories so far, but but actually my least favorite as far as the Ultra Humanite portion is concerned. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really like the first half of the story with Superman rescuing the, the boat. There's just lots of action there. And really through the whole story, there was a lot of action. But he doesn't really fight the Ultra Humanite at all. Um, mm. He just kind of comes in, and it's a hologram, so big deal. Exactly. He works does... a scheme, I guess, but... So was he the so? Well, I guess it was just the whole time he was in there. Wonder how long he was the hologram. I kind of took it as the whole. It could have been the whole time. Cause yeah, it could have been. It could I think. Have, well. I think the the scenes. On, I see what you're asking, but I think the scenes um, where he's talking to the to two gangsters. Uh-huh. I think those scenes take place somewhere else. Yeah, not at 211 Court Avenue. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm hip to what you're doing. Okay. okay. You're hip to my jive. There you go. Okay. <laughs> and the ad here, last panel for uh-huh. the World's Fair Comics again. Right. It's soon to be on sale everywhere. Soon on sale everywhere. So it hasn't come out for the 15 cents yet. Interesting. Yes. So anyway, yeah. So you got anything else for action? Uh, for that, uh, no. I thought that was. I just thought it was a really good story, and like you said, the art was really cool. And once again, um, for the most part, Brain did kind of beat Braun. Well, other than the fact that Superman spoiled his plans, but he still got away. Right. So his his content. He the fact that Ultra had a contingency plan for disappearing kind of shows you that. Bane, brain beat brawn kind of thing. Right. Oh yeah, he he definitely got away. You know, his his scheme is thwarted, but he he got away. So. Mm-hmm. Other features in this issue are again the normal suspects of Pet Morgan, Marco Polo, Clip Carson, Tex Thompson, Chuck Dawson, and Zaytara. However, this issue is the last Marco Polo strip by Sven Elvin, and that's oh. that strip has been running since the first issue of Action Comics. So it's kind of sad to see that one drop off. It's the second ongoing strip that was in the first issue to drop, the first being Scoop Scanlon. Uh, But Marco Polo will be replaced by another strip next month, which we will talk about in next episode, I believe. Well, you will. I won't. Uh, You can come back if you want to. Oh, okay. I'll be there. (laughs) We also had a full-page, full-color ad for New York World's Fair Comics. Only 15 cents at your local newsstand. Soon. Soon. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. And we had a full color, full page ad for Superman number two, which we just covered. And the top of the ad says, Your overwhelming approval of the first magazine has prompted us to publish this second one, which corroborates a theory that I had back in episode 20 with Michael Kaiser that the first issue of Superman was not necessarily intended to be a, an ongoing series. Because there, there was no number on that issue and no date beyond 1939. So good point. And it doesn't look like the sec. And it, the way they word it there, it doesn't sound like this, it was it was an ongoing thing yet. It was just like, well, you like the first one, we'll do another one for right. you. Right. Yeah. 
So I thought that was an interesting bit of kind of trivia. I never thought of that. <laughs> and the ad, the ad also goes on to say that um, the second issue contains all brand new episodes of the one and only Superman that have never been printed before in any magazine. And while they haven't been printed in a comic before, they were not technically brand new adventures <laughs> since they were all reprints from the newspaper strip. But so they were half right. Yeah, yeah. And they were brand new when they were in the daily strips, so. Well, <laughs> right. <laughs> it just depends on your definition of brand new, like brand new now. <laughs> right. Or brand new before. And last but not least, we have our third Superman of America page, this time with another special message from Superman, uh, where he encourages kids of America to eat healthy and nutritious foods so that they can grow up big and strong. And then we have uh, the requisite, you know, membership information and a reminder about the emblem offer. And finally, Superman's secret message, which can be decoded using code Pluto8 of your Superman of America decoder. And the message is, good food, outdoor exercise, and proper rest are the foundations of a healthy body. So they were really pushing the healthy living stuff in these issues. Yeah, these these messages aren't really cool, are they? They're just kind of preachy. Remember to drink your Ovaltine. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. If I had that and I went through all this, finally got the, the message decoder, and I went through code Pluto 8, and I figured all this out, and I found that, and I'd be like, what? <laughs> I'd probably you took your, basically, you, have, basically uh, I'd have Ralphie's reaction. Yeah, yeah. You took yeah. your entire month's allowance, a, a whole dime, to, to uh-huh. be a member of the club just to get preached at about eating you know, vegetables. I could do that for free from my mom. Right. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey. And I'm Jeffrey Taylor. And we host a podcast called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. On the show... Wait, wait, wait... What? This just isn't working out for me. It's not bombastic enough. We need something epic. Like what? Welcome to From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast. Presented by the Superman homepage. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And I am Michael Bailey. From Crisis to Crisis chronicles the adventures of Superman. Wait, wait, from... wait, 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 wait. I'm just not feeling this. I'm just wondering how there's a needle scratching sound when all of this is clearly digital. Look, all we need to say is that this is the, a trailer for a show called From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by the home, Superman homepage. My name is Michael Bailey. I am Jeffrey Taylor. And every week we give in-depth synopsis and reviews for just about every Superman book published between Man of Steel number one in 1986 and Adventures of Superman number 649 in 2006. We also talk about the related Superman media, what was happening in the rest of the world and when these comics were published and what else was going on in the DC Universe. The show drops every 
Thursday-ish at the Superman homepage, which is located at www.supermanhomepage.com. From Crisis to Crisis is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, located at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. So join Jeffrey and I each week as we explore Superman during the post-crisis era, which includes Exile, Panic in the Sky, Doomsday, The Marriage, and beyond. And write into the show at FromCrisisToCrisis at gmail.com and hear it read on the air, eventually, because we get behind on that sort of thing. Superman created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. Side effects from From Crisis to Crisis include loss of money from buying back issues, a desire to read 20-year-old comic books, nausea, drowsiness, pizza, blurred vision, upset stomach, a desire to kick puppies and kittens, and backache from lifting boxes of Superman comics. If the excitement of From Crisis to Crisis lasts more than four hours, seek immediate medical attention. Okay, other books that were out in August 1939, and this was a really big month for the company. They had nine books out in total, which is the most put out by the company in one month so far. There were six national books, three of which, as we just covered, were Superman-related, and then All-American had three books. So just to go through the list real quick, there was Movie Comics number 6, an All-American book, and that's the final issue of that title. And it adapts In Old Monterey, which was a Gene Autry movie, The Phantom's Creeps, starring Bella Lugosi, and A Chump at Oxford, which was a uh, Laurel and Hardy movie. And I think, I don't think there were any Jackie Cooper films in this movie, which is rare because Jackie Cooper's been, <laughs> movie comics has been all about Jackie Cooper movies so far. But So did they take like film stills or are they actually redrawing all these? I have never seen a copy myself. What I understand is that they would take like film stills and and then draw them, but then take the actors' heads and put over the drawings. So okay. it's kind of like a uh, pseudo fumetti, I guess you might call it. Okay. Well, um, I guess I kind of see that on the cover now that you mention it. Yeah. Because that girl does not look like she's actually with the guy holding the gun to the giant robot. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But um, we also had More Fun Comics number 47, which got a new strip called Bulldog Martin. Mm-hmm. We also had Detective Comics number 31 with a very awesome and very iconic Batman cover. That is so cool. Yeah. I mean, he kind of looks like the devil there, but that is really cool. I like the – yeah, that's very moody. The uh, Batman story in this one was a uh, was the first of a two-part – Batman versus the Vampire storyline where Batman battles a hooded villain known as the Monk. And uh, the story also had the first appearance of Julie Madison, Batman's Batarangs, and the Batplane. Neither neither Michael or I liked it very much when we covered it on Legends of the Batman, but it is a very <laughs> historical issue. It's a crazy Gardner Fox Batman story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we also had Adventure Comics number 42 with a very cool Craig Flessel uh, Sandman cover. Yes, I, I was. I was just saying earlier, bef- in between pauses, that is an awesome cover. It kind of some of it actually looks like it's sketchy rather than inked, but oh, that could yeah. just be the image quality that they have on this website. But it looks a lot. I mean, it just looks like pencil shading that they colored over some parts of it. I would really like to check out some of these old Sandman stories. I think some of those have been reprinted in the archive. Yeah, there's a there's a Golden Age Sandman archives that has reprinted. Looks like maybe a year's worth of stories or so. 
huh. couple of years. Yeah, I got. I'll check the. I had it. Oh yeah, right there. Got to check those out. But um, also in this issue, Wayne Boring takes over for Joe Schuster doing art on Federal Men, and he'll do the next uh, next two issues, and then the strip goes to Mart Bailey. But Jerry Siegel is still writing. Joe Schuster <laughs> is still doing art on Radio Squad and Slam Bradley. Wow, he was he, a busy guy. Uh, yeah, and we also had a uh, a comic called Mutton Jeff, and I don't know too much about this. Um, only that it comes out once a year until 1942, but I think it was reprints of the newspaper, the Mutt and Jeff newspaper strip. But I am not completely confident uh, on that. And well, the entire was... contents are copyrighted. It says it right there on the bottom of the cover. Oh, yeah. Entire contents copyrighted, published by All American Comics. <laughs> yeah, I. that, that does look... It just kind of shouts reprint to yeah. me. Especially, it definitely looks like a humor thing anyway. Yeah. And we had All-American Comics number 7, which saw the end of the Bobby Thatcher strip. And that will be replaced by Gary Concord, the Ultraman, next next issue. And Gary Concord, the Ultraman, was... Um, I wouldn't really say he was a big character, but he was definitely considered one of the top six. Uh, we'll be seeing some ads show up pretty soon that highlight the biggest uh, star from each book. And Ultraman gets the title for All-American. Wow, that art on there, he's ripped. Yeah. <laughs> Who did that, Stan Eschmeyer? John L. Blumer. Blumer? All, wait, wait, All American wait. Comics number seven? Oh, I'm sorry. No, I was. I looked ahead an issue for the Ultraman. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, yeah, I see what sorry. you're saying. On the, yeah. Yeah. That's next issue, guys. He'll talk more about that next month, or next week. But the All American Comics number seven cover also... Uh, advertises a big exciting contest where you can win $25 in prizes. Ooh. And of course $25 may not seem like a lot, but that's about what $400 would be today with inflation. Really? So, yeah. Dang. Yeah. So That's a lot. So that was it for that was it for National and All-American. Outside of the company there were some big books too. Uh, there was Amazing Man Comics number 5 from Centaur Publications that had the first appearance of a character called Amazing Man, who was an influence on the creation of characters like Peter Cannon Thunderbolt and Iron Fist. And wow. DC, DC has a character today called Amazing Man, whose alternate identity is Will Everett, in tribute to uh, the original Amazing Man created by Bill Everett. Now, is he actually called Amazing I always thought it was just Amazing Man. No, no, no. You're thinking of a different character. Of course I am, because that's what I do. <laughs> Confusion abounds when Charlie's on the show. You're thinking of Amazing Man, which was a like a humor uh, humor title done by Bob Rosakis in the 80s. Right. Right. But this is... This totally different. Right. This oh, that, that black guy? That's wrong. I'm sorry, but the, yeah, he had a big yeah. A on him, and he was in the Justice League and stuff? That's the... That's one you're talking Amazing about. Man, but this is okay. a separate character in Amazing Man. <laughs> There's just too okay. many similarly There's named too characters. Many amazing in guys yeah. out there in comics. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, and there was also Four Color Series number one from Dell, which had the first comic book appearance of Dick Tracy, even though he had been in uh, newspaper strips as far back as 1931. But I thought that character moving into the comic books was a uh, significant. And oh, there yes. was 
the Avenger number one, a pulp magazine from Street and Smith that had the first appearance of the pulp hero called the Avenger, later the star of Justice Incorporated from DC, and I think maybe probably the biggest book of the month, or at least the most historically significant book of the month, was Marvel Comics number one, there which you was go. the first book from Timely, a predecessor to Marvel Comics, and it had the first appearance of the Human Torch and Namor the Submariner. And also and, Kazar. Wow, Kazar. Kazar. I, didn't, I can't believe he's been around that long. Wow. Yep. Okay, so wait a minute. I have a question. No, I, I may have totally missed some of it. but So Amazing Man Comics number five right. was the first issue. I know, I'm going back to this. But for number five was the first appearance of Amazing Man. Right. Was it known as something else before that? Not that or I've been able to tell. just really slow in getting Amazing Man into that book? No, not that I could tell. And that, as far as I could tell, there were no is- There were no issues number one through four, and it wasn't renamed. So apparently the <laughs> first issue was number five. Huh. Maybe it was those Ashcan things. Uh, it could have been. Because I've heard that they've done that. But that is... I don't know, some of the Golden Age stuff is kind of weird to me. Yeah, a lot of times they would rename titles, you know, from one yeah, to another. Because back then the thing was you needed the the higher numbers. Right. Meant that people were more likely to check it out. Nowadays it's everyone wants number ones. Right. It's so weird. If you like a number one, check out DC in September because there will be oh a whole my. bunch of them to choose from. There's 52 of them, in fact. <sighs> And I bet you the next month there's only going to be six because there's going to be delays. <laughs> uh. Over 70 years of history in film, television, radio, and comics. A hero sent to Earth from a doomed planet to fight for truth, justice, and the American way. A strange visitor from another planet? Superman. This looks like a job for Superman. Superman Forever Radio. A look at Superman's history in all mediums, from comics to film to merchandise, animation, and beyond. I'm your mild-mannered host, J. David Weeder. Join me every Sunday and Thursday for a twice-weekly exodus into the world of Superman. Sundays we explore a wide range of topics throughout the mythology, from the heights of Metropolis to the fields of Smallville and to the depths of the galaxy of Krypton. Plus the latest news, gossip, and a look at Superman and other media. On Thursdays, we review the Superman comics following the Infinite Crisis in 2006, all the way up to the present, month by month, issue by issue. And don't forget the SFR Daily Planet, a minicast giving you the scoop on the Man of Steel as it happens. So visit supermanforever.com or iTunes and of course the Superman Podcast Network and begin the never-ending battle today. Superman Forever Radio. All Superman. All the time. Well, thank you very much, Charlie, for coming on. I I had a great time chatting with you and oh well thank you for uh come back thank you at some for, point thank you for having me on this is one of my favorite not just superman shows but this is definitely one of my favorite podcasts and i've wow. really enjoyed it and i'm glad i could be on here <laughs> with you nice of you to say well it's true 
why it's don't gotta, uh, you do a good show and thank you for having me on again or for the first time why don't you tell them where they can find you and your show and all right. Uh, my show is Superman in the Bronze Age. Uh, the main place to find me is uh, Superman in the Bronze Age blogspot.com, where I also occasionally post little side articles and any articles that involve me being on someone else's show. So whenever this goes up, you'll see a link to this episode over there. Um, then you can also download the episodes on iTunes. Just look for Superman in the Bronze Age. Uh, I'm also on the Superman, uh, yeah, Superman Podcast Network, and which is at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com, and then also um, Steve Eunice was kind enough to post new episodes on the Superman homepage for me, so you can also see new episodes posted up there whenever I get back to actually posting new episodes again. Cool. Thank you again for coming on, and thanks to you listeners for tuning in for another episode. Next time, I will be by myself again, probably, looking at... So sad. Looking at Action Comics number 18. If you have comments or feedback, feel free to email me at thrillingadventures at greatcrypton.com. You can also stop by the website at greatcrypton.com, where you'll find show notes for this and all episodes as well as links to Charlie's show and other postings from time to time. You'll also find the link to the Facebook page, the RSS feed, and the iTunes link. The Thrilling Adventures of Superman is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network, and that's home to many great Superman-related podcasts and vidcasts. And the, the Superman Podcast Network also has its very own promo now, thanks to Charlie Niemeyer. That's me. So I'm glad I could publicly thank you for that because it will, I think, uh, introduce the network to a lot more people. I hope so. Thank you very much. Oh, and also, uh, just so everyone knows, thank you, Mike, for being one of the first people to actually send me the little file uh, that I used to put you into the show. Uh, I was only be... first because I have no life. Well, well. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I wasn't going to say that, but okay, if you want to tell people. Um, but no, they know. They listen the... to the show. So. <laughs> yeah, they hear all the stuff you put into it. It's like, man, this guy must do nothing. But um, yeah, thank you uh, for for doing that. You were one of the first ones. And in... good. Well, thank you again for putting that together. I had no problem. Um, but be sure to check out my other podcast, Legends of the Batman, which I co-host with Michael Kaiser, where we are going through all of the Dark Knight's adventures, starting from his original appearance and Detective Comics number twenty-seven. And you can find that at BatmanLegends.com. And that's a good show. Listen to it. As always, Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. So thanks again for listening to the thrilling adventures of Superman, everyone. And I will talk to you later. Goodbye. Bye, everybody.
we've had some unseasonably cooler weather lately here. Okay, well then shut up. <laughs> no, I kid, I kid. You don't have to shut up. It's your show. Hey. <laughs> I talk too much anyway. Well, yeah, but still. I wasn't going to say anything. Let's see, it was Action 700. Ah, uh, yes, with the... Action 700? Well, that, that was one of my favorite issues. No, this is Action 16. Okay, okay I was going to say, you're, <laughs> you're a little ahead of my show there. Okay. Yeah. It was, um, oh, crap. What I thought we would do is I would... <laughs> All right, you there? I am here. You sound really far away. <laughs> That's because when I'm trying to take a drink of pop, oh. um, I put the headphone above my head. <laughs> I see. So that I'm not getting coke in the way of it. Right. I just forgot that it wasn't there. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't actually land. Oh, I have driven through Indiana, but... I didn't stop. So anyway, there's nothing to see here anyway. So uh, tell me about it. I've, like I said, I've, I've driven through there, <laughs> and that cool sign that says, "Well, you're now in the Central Time Zone," and on the other side, <laughs> you're now in the Eastern Time Zone. That's about it. Okay. Uh, yeah, ready when you are. Okay. Clark tells the manager that he believes the Clarion Fire was arson. But the manager begs him not to print the story, explaining that the Clarion is the fourth ship in the line to have been sabotaged. 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 <laughs> oh. <laughs> Gotta love South Park. <laughs> Sabotage. <laughs> Sorry, I'm having fun with it. Okay. Oh. Sabotage. <laughs>